You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. I want everybody this week to imagine the following. Aliens, come down to Earth and discover you just going about your daily business. They attack you. They inject you with a strange serum concoction that paralyzes you. You can see everything going on around you, but you you cannot move. I'm not here now, this for is this. A common, this is a common thing you, uh, you hear in like alien abduction stories. Now, these aliens load you onto their ship and they fly you to their home planet. And once there, you find that they have dug a subterranean base that they, they take you down into. And you, you, can, you are conscious for all of this, right? You're seeing it happen, but you are powerless to do anything about it. They take you into this subterranean maze and they put you in a very small room. And you're a little claustrophobic, but again, you can do, you can do nothing about this. And you then realize that they are going to close you in to this space and you're going to lose all light. They're just going to pack you in. They start like shoveling dirt in and, and kind of trying to pack you in tightly. And right before they finish, they take this beautiful little orb, a little sphere, and they just place it in there with you and they seal you up. And then you can hear the dirt and the ground. You can hear like these alien legs, you know, walking away and it becomes totally silent. And you realize to your horror that, they have left you there to die. They are never coming back. No, thank that you. sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> this exactly. Now that sounds nightmarish enough, but uh, I'm afraid there's there's more to this story. After a few days, you you hear a noise and you start to think maybe someone is coming for me in my, my paralyzed state where I can't even try to dig myself out or, or get to freedom. And even if I could, what would I do? So we're still and paralyzed. Still paralyzed. And you start to hear a noise and you realize the noise is not coming from outside. It's coming from inside. It's coming from that, inside the house. Exactly. God. But it's not from inside the house. It's coming from inside the little sphere they left with you. And that sphere splits open and a young alien crawls out and begins to feed. Absolutely not. <laughs> and what it's feeding on is the only food source available. You realize that the parent has left a gift. You are the gift left by a caring parent for this alien. You will be very slowly eaten alive as the first meal of this alien species. I hate that, Sounds... even though I know exactly <laughs> what this is. Me too. It's just Of course. Now, awful. this this may sound like something out of a nightmarish sci-fi horror movie, but this happens for real right here on Earth. Don't worry. Not to humans. Uh, I'm talking this week about the great golden digger wasp. Uh, I first learned about these about seven years ago when I switched jobs uh, for which nature center I was working at. And... 
The place where I currently teach has a sizable population of these amazing creatures living in the park. And as their name implies, uh, the great golden digger wasps, they are wasps and they are great, meaning large. They, you know, actually, you know, I, I'm going to compare them to murder hornets because that was sort of the big hot thing last year. Everyone was hearing about murder hornets. <laughs> I love these guys, though. I love about them. 40, you love murder hornets or the golden digger wasps? Golden digger wasps. That's, okay. that's fair. Mur- murder hornets Not are so about much. 45 millimeters long, like an inch and a half or so, right? Golden digger wasp is smaller. They're about 25 millimeters, so about an inch. But if you ask anyone who's seen one how big they are, they will not tell you that they're an inch. They, oh, people are, oh, I don't know, three inches? Enormous. Two inches? Like, yeah, they for some reason they seem so much bigger. If you look up the actual sizes of like a paper wasp, I think most of us are familiar with, they're really not much bigger than a paper wasp, maybe by a few millimeters or so. But they they look huge and they look freakish and scary. And uh, you'll find them on the ground digging those burrows that they're going to put their victims into. And they make sort of a dime-sized hole in the ground. The story I told at the beginning actually describes what they do. Uh, now to humans, they're incredibly docile. They don't sting people. Researchers like to study them and stuff because you can get right next to them. You can actually pick them up and move them around. Don't necessarily recommend it, but you can, uh, people who get stung by them are usually people who accidentally step on them or threaten them in some ways. And they do apparently have a fairly painful sting, but it is extremely rare to be stung by one of these. And as evidence of this, we have a rather large uh, number of them that live on our playground where I work. And we have hundreds of kids running around and nobody has ever been stung by them. Freaks them uh, the we heck put out, signs though. up interpreting them and talking about them so people can see them because they're super cool. I have, as someone who has been stung over 20 times in my life, I have never been stung by a golden digger wasp, and I, I I actually have been able to see that alien abduction story happen in real life, because that's where I met you, Kirk. That was the first time I'd ever seen it, was at that same nature center. Yeah, so let me let me describe them for you, and then we'll go into the details of what really happens with the, uh, the abduction story. Uh, these are very typical wasp-looking creatures. If you picture a wasp, you can picture what it looks like. Uh, they have... Um, large, semi-transparent amber wings that are quite beautiful. They have a black head, mostly black because they have large eyes that are black. Their thorax is yellow and black striped, like you would kind of expect of a uh, wasp. But their abdomen, sort of, which is the, the, the back section, is half sort of a beautiful orangish red, and the back half then is jet black. So it's very striking, and they, they definitely make an impression. What they do is they are going to go after members of the grasshopper family or more appropriately the, uh, or correctly, the orthoptera order. So this is going to be uh, grasshoppers, crickets, katydids, anything that kind of looks like that is what they go for. And they're going to go out hunting. They're going to find one. They're going to sting it, which will paralyze it. They're going to pick it up and they're going to fly away with it. Or if it's too big, they sometimes will also drag it. Uh, to this den that they've made or this burrow. It is a hole about the size of a dime. It's going to be like four to six inches deep and have several chambers inside. They're going to drag this thing down headfirst into the tunnel, shove it headfirst into one of these little side chambers, lay an egg on it, and then seal it up and leave, never to come back. 
So that larva will then hatch out and start to eat that insect alive while it is paralyzed in there. Uh, I, I don't actually know. I should say at some point, I don't know if that toxin does wear off and they just can't move because they're in such a small space, uh, which would be a really interesting thing to find out, like how long that, um, I guess it's a, a, a venom technically or a... Um, yeah, it's a venom, poison. right? Yeah, like a, yeah, it's a venom. How, how long that's going to have yeah. that effect, but definitely long enough to get them in there and make them lunch. Uh, now that young does not grow super quick and then like hatch back out. They're actually going to stay in there all winter long, and in that larval stage, then they're going to go through metamorphosis, become an adult, and then the adults will hatch out in the spring. The adults do not go off and then eat crickets and grasshoppers and uh, and katydids, they actually are nectar eaters. So they visit flowers and they're very docile and they just go about their business not bugging anybody until oh, uh, if they're a female, they're like, I'm going to go kill some grasshopper and shove them in a hole. Uh, so they time. are found all over, pretty much all over North America and they seem to like digging in sandy soil or I often find them in like a crushed limestone trail. And they want a sunny spot near food because they got to drag that food sometimes to that hole. So not too far away from where you can find their food source. And you probably, if you keep your eyes open, have this bizarre, amazing, strange alien abduction story happening maybe in your backyard or very close to your home. Well, I'll take that one off my list now. I had it on my list, too. I did not, actually. I I don't know if people... You know, our listeners realize that we do not discuss any of these stories with each other ahead of time. No, we don't. So the day is going to come when multiple of us, one, you know, two, maybe even three of us are all going to come someday and we have all prepared the same story. I can't wait. Today is not that day. So that's about all we have about Golden Digger Wasp. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with Rachel. Kirk here with a quick note. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It helps other lovers of The Strange find our show. You can also find and follow us on social media. Search for Strange by Nature Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or come visit us at strangebynaturepodcast.com. We'll see you there. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, and this week... I don't have an alien type story for you, but I do have a zombie story for you this week. So picture you're a cricket, these poor, poor crickets. And crickets are having a, a tough time this week. They're having a rough time this week. You're a cricket and you're going about your business just hanging out, you eat something that you find out uh, near a lake or a pond, and you just munch, 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 eat it up, and continue on your way. You, you keep behaving normally and everything, but you just don't feel like chirping anymore. You just stay silent, and you keep going and keep going until one day... You get this urge. You have to go and find water. Now, normally, if you're a cricket, you stay away from the water as 
that's where fish are that can eat you. Birds, you can drown. You're not the best swimmers. But for some reason, you just know that if you went into that water, it would be the best time of your life. Not only would it be the best time of your life, but you also know that you are going to be Olympic level swimmer. There's no way this could go wrong at all. <laughs> so you find an open body of water and you jump in and you feel something in like your gut just pops open. There's some hole that you didn't oh. notice. And out comes in the water next to you this long, thin worm. How many, how many people do you think listen to this at bedtime? <laughs> Not after this. Well, all right. Well, mine is going to be pretty gross, too. Just, just warning you. Excellent. Excellent. So this long worm, it can... An average is about a foot long. <gasps> no. What? Hold on. Out of a, a cricket, foot? a foot. I, I, <laughs> no. on, I, I, as soon as you started talking, I knew which story you were going to do. I did not know a foot. It was. Well, I didn't. Oh my god. They have recorded species of this worm. It is known as the horsehair worm, also known as the Gordian worm. They have recorded species up to six feet long. Oh, nope. <laughs> I'm out. That's awful, Rachel. Shame on you. I know. So I know. Okay. So they only go after invertebrates. They don't go after oh, humans good. I, or I any have a mammals. Spine. So Victoria, do you have a spine? Uh, yes, I do. Oh, good. Okay, then so you're fine. we are safe being vertebrates. I'm also, I'm also safe. Thanks for checking. Now, these Gordian <laughs> worms, they're a little cricket. Most of them are about an inch or so long. But these worms are thin. They are an 80th to one-tenth of an inch in diameter. Now, picture, like, your hair... Okay, you look at I'm currently I'm looking, looking at, at right one now. of my hairs. The diameter of your human hair is thicker than this worm. As that so one thin, it's really, really thin uh, because human hair, the diameter of a human hair is about up to point one eight millimeters or. Point zero zero seven one inches. Don't don't even no. give it an inches. That 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 just points out how stupid uh, our system of measurement is. Exactly right. We we hate inches here. Anyway, so these worms are incredibly thin, but out of this little tiny cricket comes out this about a foot long worm, and sometimes it's more than one worm. Oftentimes, it's more than one worm. Nope. So what happens nope. is the horsehair worms, the adults are hanging out in the water, and they will mate with each other. And the male after mating, having good old time, the male after mating will die. The female will then go. Oh, well, hey, hey, that's no fair. Hold on, hold on. 
The female will go and lay her eggs in a really long gelatinous string. This is up to 15 million eggs in one go. Wow. This gets worse and worse. And then the female adult horsehair worm will die. Okay. So those little eggs will be microscopic, are microscopic, obviously. Like, you're not going to be able to see them at all. And depending on the water temperature, the eggs will hatch anywhere from two weeks to three months. So they're just hanging out in any water that's open, any wet sort of areas. That's generally where these horse hair worms are going to be. So they'll lay these eggs in the water. And within 24 hours, once they hatch, it is thought, because we don't know for sure, there's still a lot of research happening, these microscopic larvae will form some sort of protective covering to hopefully be eaten by some sort of insect. So an insect comes along and is eaten, it eats this chitinous type covering that actually has a larva on the inside of it will be eaten. The larva, once it's in that invertebrate gut, will bore through the gut wall into the body cavity of the host where it will just continue to eat the inside. And eventually when it's mature and ready to become its adult horsehair worm self, it drives whatever that invertebrate is, oftentimes it's crickets, to go to the water and dive into it. Now, crickets, like I said earlier, hate water. They can't swim, nothing. So they will actively seek out water using their antenna to gauge what the humidity in the air is and then jump in. And then that adult horsehair worm will burrow out into the water and escape into the water, oftentimes leaving the host still alive and drowning in the water. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Mm. Sort of like how uh, a parasite can make a mouse really like the smell of cat pee. Exactly. That's actually what inspired me for this story. I'm like, it's very similar. Let's go with mind control. But I still am not over the fact that they are just so long. Like I don't know if you all have seen pictures of a horsehair worm coming I am, out. I'm looking at some right now. I've it's actually seen vi- some horrifying. video. We should, okay, again, on the social media, we will share uh, a video. Uh, there are some videos out there of these coming out of animals, and it is it's horrifying. Uh, don't watch it if you're squeamish. You're not wrong. It, it's It's absolutely amazing, and there's a lot of things that we don't know about it. Uh, the cricket, the reason why when you're a cricket, uh, you stop chirping though, is because it's expensive, energetically speaking to chirp and it raises the, uh, chance of it getting eaten by something else. Uh, like before it can get, to before the it can get to the water. Right. So that's why it drives the crickets to not chirp anymore until they're ready to go into the water. And that's what I've got for you this week.
All right. So my my creature this week is also an invertebrate, but it's going to take me a little while before I get to actually talking about the creature. Because first I want to talk about the guy who first discovered it. This man was named Friedrich Gustav Jakob Henle, Henle um, German, go figure. He was born in 1809 in Bavaria, and he studied medicine, and he actually became a really important anatomist and medical theorist as well. Uh, he has over a dozen anatomical structures that are named after him, including um, one in the kidney that's called the loop of Henley. And I think they're all named after him, probably because he discovered them. He was also a really important early proponent of a, a kind of a precursor to the germ theory of disease, the idea that it's germs that cause infections and disease and not miasmas, which was the, uh, the prevailing theory at the time. And so his work was a, a real important basis for further developments later in the 19th century. And here's my favorite part. <laughs> his first marriage is actually the basis uh, for several novels and also the play Pygmalion that My Fair Lady, the musical, was based on. So what? Yeah, get this. He was living in Zurich. He was the chair of the anatomy school there. And he was he was basically boarding uh, with a family. So the nanny who worked for this family was this beautiful, charming young woman who had previously worked as a seamstress. And they fell in love, but they thought their love was impossible because there was this huge social class difference between them. He was a real big shot, big intellectual, but they just, they, they basically couldn't keep away from each other. And so the solution they came up with was he got his sister Marie to come collect his girlfriend and take her home to Germany and give her an educational overhaul for like a year and a half. And she got the, the whole Eliza Doolittle treatment from speech to uh, to reading, to uh, social manners. So apparently it worked. I don't know how how this woman felt about it, but they got married. They were quite happy, apparently, for a while. But after three years, she died of tuberculosis, which is very sad. That is sad. We don't like tuberculosis. That's, that's horrible. At that's any rate, horrible. while he was in Zurich, he was studying, among other things, hair follicles in humans. And so he was examining a corpse one day and as you do, as, as one does, Rachel beat me to it. Well, you know, if you're, if you're an anatomy person, that's what you do. As naturalists, let's face it. We find something dead. We go and we poke it with a stick. I did that with the that's deer what, like three weeks ago. As you do. Yeah, indeed. And this is essentially what he did. He was looking very closely at, at human hair follicles on the face and in one of these follicles, he discovered a tiny little creature. It was long and kind of skinny and wormy looking, almost entirely transparent, and had, had eight little stubby legs up front in a kind of a slightly scary looking, somewhat bear-like face. And he described this. He gave a little presentation at one of the local scientific societies, published an account in the local newspaper, but not a, not a major scientific paper. And so it didn't really attract a lot of attention. Uh, and these creatures were mostly forgotten for the better part of a century, maybe more. This was 1841, I think I forgot to say. Um, turns out 
These creatures, which are known as face mites. What? Yeah. I'm touching my face. Yeah. I hate to inform you, but you have (laughs) face mites. I have face mites. And so does everybody else. I definitely have face mites. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that. They're having a party. They're having a great time on Kirk's face. Right. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're arachnids. Uh, they're related to. Oh, I don't like that. To ticks, uh, a little more uh. distantly to spiders. Yeah, you have you have mites living in your pores. There are two species closely related. Uh, they're called Demodex. That's the name of the genus. And one lives in your hair follicles, and one lives in the sebaceous glands, which are in your hair follicles. But they're that's what produces the grease on your skin, sebaceous glands. Um, so they're a little, like they're about 0.3.4 of a millimeter, so a little less than half a millimeter long. And they eat, they eat that grease and they stay head down in your pores. <laughs> and then at night, they come out and crawl around your face and mate with each other. Oh, oh. But Victoria, get this. I would like to sleep tonight. <sighs> let's just, let's just go over that again. They, they face down pig out on your face grease yep all night day long all day long and then at night they have a they come out and have a party on your face Mm -hmm. and i'm using party as the nicer term but they get worthy with each other don't worry it's better they have no anus so so they're not pooping on us do they have a cloaca I, I am guessing that means they're barfing on you, though. I, I don't know. I don't know how that works, man. I, I read this. I'm like, they have no anus. I is mean, that waste possible? has got to come out somewhere. And from what do, I understand, in the animal world, if it's not do, going out one end, it's going out the other. Like maybe they have a cloaca, or maybe they are barfing it up. I, I don't like that at all. No, a thing. detail I, I was not I able to. I don't like uncover. Yeah, I don't like either option, frankly. Mm-hmm. None this of those is, you know, are good I do have a I do have a 13 year old who doesn't like to wash his face. Um, I'm going to make him listen to this though, and I think that may help <laughs> with the uh, facial hygiene routine. Glad to help, I, Kirk. Glad to help. I also need to wash my face more now. <laughs> so if we you- were going to say something, Rachel, but it's it's. I'm glad that we don't have to now. Yeah, I don't like that. I'm so uncomfortable. If you had asked scientists a couple decades ago how many people had these, they would have said, oh, like between maybe 40 and 70 percent of people have these. Well, there have been some more recent studies where they take swabs of uh, people's faces across a wide sample of people and and do DNA analysis so they can detect DNA traces of these creatures. Pretty much 100 percent of people have Uh, these things, except for newborn babies. uh, I don't like the idea that they're like wiping your face and they're like. Getting the party residue off your face. Oh, man. We found some DNA on your face. There's this video. Uh, I'll have to see if I can find a shareable version of it. So the scientist who was studying these would take like a thin layer of glue. It's sort of, you know, if you've used one of those pore strips on your nose that. Oh, yeah. Kind of like that. And so this is a a close-up of the strip that had been taken off somebody's face with all the little things sticking up. And they come in very carefully with these tiny little forceps and pluck this wriggling little bite off of the off of the sticky strip and hold it up for the camera. It's so horrifying. Victoria, this, this is just, why I need a microscope. 
Victoria, your story just kept getting worse. But here's the I, thing. So when, when there's a creature like this that is found in 100% of humans, you got to think it's really not causing any problems for most people. And in fact, it may actually be, be playing an important role. Um, we just don't know enough yet, but the scientists are learning more all the time about your skin's microbiome. People have heard That's a lot true. about the gut microbiome and the skin microbiome is equally important, but not as much as known about it. And so, you know, these guys may actually be helping keep your face from getting too greasy. They may be eating your dead skin cells and it's like a natural exfoliant. Um, there are occasions when it can get out of hand. So um, usually in people with suppressed immune systems is when this happens. Uh, if they have a suppressed immune system, they can have an, an overload of these demodex. And there are also some evidence that they may be associated with rosacea and acne if you have increased numbers, but the cause and effect is really hard to tell there. It could be that they cause the rosacea and the acne, or it could be that people with rosacea and acne have conditions that lead to an overload of them. Um, but for most people, they're not causing any problems, and they may be really important, actually, for our health. So although it's super, super gross, don't worry so about it. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah. The only problem they're causing is nightmares at this point. It's still not great. And that's all about all I have to say about face mites today. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace The Strange.